Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were angels living... Excuse me. Let's start that again. The angels are coming. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Good morning. Oh, what a cheerful group. It's lovely to see you all. Uh, my name's Becca. Um, and as Rupert said, I worship here at Holy Trinity with my husband Tom and our two children. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series today, um, looking at God's invitations to us. And today we're going to be looking at God's invitation to a wonder-filled life, a wonder-filled life. Uh, would you join me as we pray as we start? Father God, thank you that you have so much to teach us. Please, would you help us to listen? And I pray that each and every one of us here today um, learns something new uh, today and that that changes our lives and brings you all the glory. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So, what is your first reaction when I tell you that there are only 22 days to go until Christmas? Uh, maybe it's a lurching fear uh, when you realize that you haven't even started your Christmas shopping yet. If that's you, um, be encouraged and maybe take pity on my husband. Uh, my birthday's on the 12th of December. Nine days, darling. Uh, so I'm very excited in the Fairley household. Um, maybe uh, you feel a sense of relief that it's all going to be over soon and life can get back to normal, the shops can remove their decorations and people will stop wearing their idiotic Christmas jumpers to the office. Maybe it's a first Christmas for you. Perhaps it's the first Christmas as a married couple or the first with a baby, or maybe it's a first for a different reason. Maybe it's a first Christmas without someone that you love. Maybe the landscape looks very different this year for you and that fills you with fear or sadness. Whatever your reaction, I suspect that the word wonder 
probably wouldn't be up there as an emotional reaction to Christmas. In fact, I suspect that for most of us, we could probably relate to Eugene Peterson when he describes a life in which the wonder has leaked out. The wonder has leaked out. Um, at the end of October, I was shopping in John Lewis, the big department store in town, with my three-year-old daughter, and we were going up the escalators to the third floor. And suddenly, my daughter caught sight of the newly opened Christmas shop. And she started screaming, Christmas trees, baubles, lights. I confess my reaction was somewhat more uh, cynical. Um, I was thinking, it's only the 24th of October, for goodness sake. How are we supposed to maintain this level of excitement for two more months? The problem for me and for most of us is that although we'd love to be filled with Christmas wonder, we've all done Christmas before. The frantic present buying, the extended family negotiations, and let's not even get started on the family politics involved on Christmas Day. We know that more often than not, the reality of Christmas is, sadly, anything but wonder-filled. And this attitude of been there, seen the reality, can also colour our attitude about the actual nativity events. We read, like we've had read today, about the shepherds and the angels, and we're more likely to think of sort of tea towels uh, and ill-fitting dressing gowns and dodgy halos made out of tinsel than actual historical events that happened and changed the course of history. So, how do we go about recapturing some of the wonder of these events and the Christian life? Well, this morning, I'd love us to spend a little bit of time looking again at this passage and perhaps discovering something that it teaches us about God that might be quite surprising. Uh, and then we're going to finish by looking at three ways that I think the shepherds can teach us how to recapture some of the wonder in our own lives. Last month, I was um, taking my son to school. Uh, and suddenly, both my children started shouting. This, I've noticed, seems to be a theme of all my stories about my children. They're very shouty children. Uh, I suspect it's because they have a very shouty mother. I'll just park that there. Anyway, they both started shouting, Look, Mummy! Ponies! Dogs! Caravans! And on the field outside our school, a travelling community had moved in. Uh, now, I'm not here to debate the rights and wrongs of the travelling community's way of life, but what I will say is that when we walked into the school playground, the atmosphere had completely changed. The children loved it. They were running around and screaming and getting really excited. The parents, however, there was this kind of palpable sense of fear and irritation and mistrust and unhappiness. And it was, it was fascinating. It was also really sad to see. And I tell you this because we need to change how we see the shepherds in this story. We need to get rid of the image of tea towels and dressing gowns. You see, people at this time viewed shepherds with immense distrust, dislike, irritation. They were not liked people. And part of the reason for this is because the shepherds were nomads. That meant that they had to move around the countryside to find fresh flocks for their sheep. And because they had to do this, they couldn't take part in religious observances. So, for example, they couldn't uh, keep the Sabbath each week. They couldn't visit the temple. They were perpetually ritually impure. And in a society which measured worth by religious actions, these shepherds were seen as some of the most unworthy people in society. 
which makes them a fascinating choice to receive the only angelic announcement of the birth of Christ. Have you ever thought about this? Uh, throughout the Bible, we read of quite a few people who have encountered an angel, singular. However, as I was thinking about it, and I'm sure someone's going to come and correct me at the end, I can only think of four people in the entire history of the Bible who ever saw what these shepherds saw. These shepherds saw heaven opened and witnessed some of the power and glory of an entire angelic army, not just one, an army of angels. This was literally a window into another dimension, thousands and thousands of angelic warriors roaring in unison to celebrate the birth of the king of kings. And who got the honor of seeing it? A bunch of morally dubious shepherds. God could have chosen anyone he wanted to invite to celebrate the birth of his son. The religious, there were lots of those at that time. The sorted, the expectant, the holy, the humble. Instead, who did he choose? The shepherds. This tells me that God isn't interested in labels. He doesn't care how society labels you, and he certainly doesn't care how you label yourself. With God, there is only one label, invited. Each and every one of us are invited. I read this recently as I was preparing for the sermon, and I just, I felt it was for someone here today, so I've actually written it out so you can see it as I read it. God is never disgusted. And I wonder if there's someone here today who labels themselves as disgusting. God is never disgusted. He never says that anything or anyone is too dirty to be touched. Look at the shepherds. That anyone is too lost to be found. Even in situations where there seems to be no grounds for human hope, he will not agree that hope has begun, gone beyond recall. More can be mended than you fear. Far more can be mended than you know. God is never disgusted. God is particularly keen to invite those of us who don't feel like we've got it all together into the wonder of Christmas. Those of us who feel on the fringes. Those of us who are struggling, who doubt, who hurt. Those of us who are feeling anything but wonder-filled. God doesn't care how other people see you. And he certainly doesn't care how you see yourself. You are filled with utter distinction because you are invited. The birth of Jesus is for you. God doesn't do labels. So how do we recapture some of the wonder of these events and the Christian life in general? Number one, the first thing that shepherds teach us is that we need to act on God's instructions. The shepherds have just had a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Undoubtedly, they were feeling a lot of different things. Adrenaline, I suspect, would be up there. Or the remnants of gut-wrenching terror. Joy, excitement. To use a common biblical analogy, these shepherds had just had a spiritual mountaintop experience, a life-changing, awe-filling, memory-making moment. From now on, their life would be divided into pre-angelic visitation and post-angelic visitation. But what I find interesting is what the shepherds did after the angel army had left. Take a look with me at verse 15. We could probably take that quote down, actually. That'd be great. Take a look at verse 15 with me. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, that was pretty exciting, wasn't it? 
something to tell our grandchildren about, eh? Maybe we should remember this event once a year, get a tree or something. Anyway, after all that excitement, I'm done. Time for a good night's sleep. And they settled down and, watching the embers of a dying fire, fell fast asleep. No, they did not do that. They said, let's go, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds didn't sit around trying to hold on to those feelings of joy and wonder. Keep going, I'm still happy, I'm still excited. Instead, they acted on the message that they had heard. The wonder was rekindled when they acted. Uh, Billy Graham, who was a very famous evangelist, uh, wrote um, a book, uh, wrote a, well, he wrote a book, yes, but in the book, he wrote about a fisherman who visited a town every Saturday. And he brought his uh, two dogs with him. One was uh, black and one was white, and he taught them to fight on command. Uh, and every Saturday afternoon, the townspeople would gather, and these two dogs would fight, and the fishermen would take bets. And one Saturday, the black dog would win, and another Saturday, the white dog would win. But the thing is, the fisherman always knew which dog was going to win, and he always put his bets on the winning dog. And in the end, his friend said, look, how on earth do you know which dog is going to win? How can you predict it? And the fisherman replied, I starve one and I feed the other. The one I feed always wins because he is stronger. Now, aside from showing us that animal welfare clearly wasn't a priority in sermon illustrations back in the 1960s, this story illustrates the basic principle that things grow and get stronger when they are fed. If we want to cultivate wonder in our own lives, we need to feed our souls. And the way to do that is to act on God's instructions to us. If the shepherds had rolled over and gone back to sleep, I suspect the wonder and the joy that they felt would have very quickly dissipated. In order to cultivate wonder, we need to act on God's instructions. So if you feel today that you are living a wonderless life, perhaps it might be worth asking yourself, have I been acting on God's instructions for my life? How am I spending my time and money? Am I feeding consumerism? perhaps. When was the last time I worshipped aside from on a Sunday morning? Do I spend time investing in my relationship with God? Have I followed God's suggestion to build a Sabbath rest into my week to totally stop and just rest? Am I following God's mandate to care for the poor and vulnerable in society and to act justly and to love mercy? Society says that wonder can be found in finding the perfect present and having the perfect decorations and wearing matching pajamas on Christmas morning. God says, actually, no. Wonder is to be found in a life lived in relationship with me. And part of that relationship for us is to listen to what God calls us to do with our lives. Last week, I was feeling pretty, well, I, I think the theological word for it would be meh. Um, there was no sort of discernible wonder going on in my life, which, to be honest, as I was prepping this sermon, was causing me a little bit of angst. Um, anyway, uh, last week, one morning, uh, the post came, and I got a letter in the post. And in the post, uh, in the letter, was this. This is a certificate. And on the certificate are two photos. This is the first photo that's on the certificate. Hopefully, it'll come up. Um, 
or, or not. Yes, there it is. This is the first photo that was on the certificate. Uh, let me explain about this photo. 11 years ago, I got my first proper job. Can you remember the excitement of that? A salary. I thought I was so rich. Uh, there was lots of things with all the money I was uh, going to do with all the money I was making until I realized that living in London, basically, I just had to eat, and that was what I'd spend my money on. But one thing I decided that I absolutely wanted to do uh, was to sponsor a child. Now, this was a big deal for me because at that time, I had only just started to realize that when God said things like, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, defend the rights of the poor and needy, he actually meant it. Mm. It wasn't just for missionaries. It was for me. And this was quite radical in my life. And I didn't really know how I was supposed to go about doing this. Um, but then I heard of this charity, Compassion, and I thought, well, this, this might be a good place to start. So I sponsored a child. This is the little girl. This, her name is Immaculate. Um, just for those of you who don't know, Compassion is a Christian charity that seeks to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. That's their kind of slogan. So this is the girl. Uh, she lives in Uganda. Her father is an agricultural laborer. Her mother doesn't go to work. And over the last 11 years, I confess I've been a fairly dreadful sponsor. The money's gone out of my account each month, and I've sort of occasionally remembered to pray for her and sort of occasionally remembered to write her letters. Um, but you know what? Despite my uselessness as a sponsor, um, her life has changed. Her life has changed. She's been able to go to school. She's had regular health checks. She writes the most beautiful letters saying, thank you for the money. With the money that you sent me, I bought some chickens for my family. And it's changed our life. Another year she wrote, with the money you sent me, I bought a goat for my family. That's her wonder. That's her excitement. Most recently, she wrote to tell me that she uh, is taking her exams to be a teacher. She wants to be a teacher. This from a daughter of an agricultural laborer in Uganda. Her life has completely changed. This is the latest photo of her. Um, I, still, <laughs> I still get quite emotional seeing the difference between those photos. Um, what, a, what a privilege to share with this girl the love of Jesus. What a privilege to show her that I believe her to have unimaginable worth in the eyes of God. So much so that a random girl from England, a country she'll probably never visit, is prepared to sponsor her and change her life. And what I love is that God took my half-hearted step towards trying to act on his mandate to care for the vulnerable in society, and he blessed it. He blessed it. Yes, Immaculate's life has clearly been totally transformed, but you know what? So's mine. So's mine. I tell you, by the time I'd finished sort of wiping my eyes as I was looking at these two photos, the wonder had totally returned. I was praising God. I mean, how can you not? God's working in people's lives. He's changing lives. This is amazing. But it didn't stop there. Um, after asking me why I was weeping, um, my son Toby asked if we could sponsor another child now that Immaculate no longer needs sponsorships. You see, she's graduated now from the Compassion Program. That's what the certificate was showing me. And I said, sure. So we sat down at the computer and we looked at the photos of the children waiting for sponsorship on the Compassion website. And Toby was like, no, no, no. It was brutal. I don't know what the criteria was, but there was something going on. No, we must have looked at about 10 children. I was thinking, this is awkward. We're not going to get anyone. And then suddenly he went, that one, that one, that's the one I want to sponsor. And he picked out a little boy, and his name is Risky, and he's from uh, Indonesia. And you know what? As Toby went, that one, I was suddenly hit by this realization. God said the same about me. That one, I want her. And he says the same about you, that one, that one, I want him. 
I want her. I want to change her life. I knew this in my head. I know that I've been chosen by God, but it hadn't really, the wonder had gone. The wonder had leaked out. The wonder had slipped. This had become meh. I know that. No big. As we chose this little boy out of the hundreds of waiting children, and I knew how much his life was going to change, I was filled with this immense gratitude and wonder. God has chosen me. My life has changed. I am loved. By acting on my faith, by choosing justice and loving mercy, I am filled with a renewed sense of wonder. So if you felt the wonder leaking out of you of late, how about feeding your soul? What things has God put on your heart to do? Maybe it's simply setting aside time for him each day. Maybe it's regular rest. Maybe it's having to say no to a few things. Maybe it's having a rethink about how you spend your money. Or maybe it's starting to take God seriously when he says, love justice. To cultivate wonder, we, like the shepherds, need to act on God's instructions. That's the first thing. Second thing the shepherds teach us, we need to share God's news. We need to share God's news. So, the shepherds have just had this amazing spiritual experience. They've acted on God's instructions. They've gone to Bethlehem. They've found the Messiah lying in the manger exactly as they were told. What do they do next? Have a look at verse 17 with me. When they had seen him, that's Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Very simply, the shepherds told people what had happened to them, what they had seen. It was a personal account of what God had done. And what was the result? Verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. We can recapture the wonder by sharing what God has done in our lives. Now, um, for those of you who sort of know me, you'll know that um, I used to get sort of utterly panicked at the thought of sharing my faith. Um, words like evangelism, apologetics, the good news used to kind of freak me out quite a lot. Um, growing up in church, we would have quite a few speakers actually who would come and they'd say things like this. One day I was sitting on a bus and uh, a lady smiled at me. And I smiled back, and then we started having a conversation. And it just, it was really natural. I just started talking to her about Jesus. And then she gave her life to Christ. And I'd be sitting there thinking, whenever I go on a bus, if anyone were even to look at me, let alone smile, I would sort of edge away from them and certainly not strike up a conversation. Uh, this meant that I spent much of my childhood and my early 20s feeling racked with guilt. I knew I wanted to tell people about what God was doing in my life. He really was changing me in the most dramatic ways. I just didn't really know how to do it. And if at this point you're expecting me to say, but then I discovered this brilliant three-part system and share it with you, I'm afraid you're gonna be a little bit disappointed. I still find it difficult and, and scary. But here's what I've noticed uh, studying the shepherds. They shared the good news together. You ever, ever thought about that? They didn't sort of separate out, go their own ways. They were there together. It was just a very natural thing. They were just in a group. They were all really excited. They were cultivating the wonder together. They bumped into people on their way back to the sheep, and they said, hey, guess what? This has happened. Most natural thing in the world. Um, back in October, again, most of my stories seem to be happening in October. It's clearly a very holy month for me. Back in October, the children's church team here at Holy Trinity hosted a light party, which was a fun alternative to Halloween. It, it was a Narnia-themed event, and they gave the children in children's church little beautiful, I have to say, invitations to hand out to their friends to invite them. And I said to Toby that he could invite three friends. 
this wasn't because I have limited faith, it was because um, his writing is really laborious and I just couldn't face the thought of him having to write any more than three envelopes. Uh, anyway, he handed the invitations out in the school playgrounds uh, and I saw one of the dads looking at the invitation. Uh, so I sort of slidled over and I said, hi, I'm Toby's mum. So our church is uh, hosting a light party um, for Halloween. And, uh, you know, children can dress up, and um, it's really fun, and uh, it would be great to see you. And he went, oh, right. And I went, great. <laughs> Just kind of walked off over here. Um, didn't hold out much hope, I have to say. Anyway, we turned up at the light party, and so did they. They came. He came with his two children, uh, and Toby and the boy. They were delighted to see each other. They were running around. It was all a bit crazy. Uh, we had a great time. Anyway, on Monday morning, I went into the school playground, and I saw the guy, and he saw me, and he marched towards me purposefully. At this point, I began to get a little anxious. <laughs> uh, I was like, what is he going to say? And uh, he looked at me, and without any preamble at all, he said, thank you so much for inviting us to the light party. My kids had the best time. They didn't want to leave. Everyone was so friendly. I mean, it, it was like they were high on something. <laughs> now, I confess, at that point, I did want to say they were high on Jesus, but I didn't. <laughs> Instead, I said, yeah, you know, this is, it's like that every week at church. Um, we have this amazing volunteer, bunch of volunteers. They really love Jesus, and they love children, and the kids have a great time. And, you know, anytime you want to come with us to church, it'll, it'll be like that maybe without the Narnia-themed elements, but still, it'll be like that. And actually, interestingly, um, Toby's invited them to the nativity play, because why not? Why not? They had a great time last time. Why wouldn't they want to come again? Now, I say this because I was only able to have that conversation because of the amazing team of volunteers at the light party. If you were there serving tea, running crafts, tidying up after us, and thank you for doing that, you were sharing your faith. You were enabling me to have a conversation. We don't have to do this sharing the good news on our own. We are the body of Christ. We do it together. Lives have been impacted by everyone's actions at that light party. And if you're not sure uh, to how about go about sharing what God is doing in your life, why not start by volunteering? There's an alpha course running next term. Why not come and cook in the kitchens if you're a bit nervous about inviting someone yourself? That's okay. You will enable other people to share their faith. We're in it together. It's not a tally chart. We're all in it together. And I promise you, when we share our faith, when we share what God is doing in our lives, when we enable people to have conversations like this, the wonder returns. I was buzzing after that conversation. I was like, yes, never happened before. This is amazing. And it was. The wonder returned. So that's the second thing. And third, very quick and final thing, I'm looking at Ed here, if that's all right, Ed. Uh, we need to praise God for what he has done. We need to praise God for what he has done. Take a look at verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. We're going to end with this, and we're going to do it. The final way that we can recapture the wonder is to glorify and praise God for all he has done and is doing in our lives. So that's what we're going to spend some time now doing. So why don't we stand? We're going to have some sung worship, and then we're going to go into communion. And I'm just going to pray for us as we start.
uh, and there were a couple of verses that I feel might be for some people here today. Um, one of them we had uh, earlier when we were praying for the service, and this was, um, cast your burdens on the Lord, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens on the Lord, for he cares for you. And the other one that I had was in Lamentations. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Father God, thank you that in you we are chosen. In you we are invited. Lord, would you just come us now? We are leaky, come to us. We are leaky vessels. Would you come and fill us up? Where the wonder has been leaking out of our lives, would you just come? Would you lift up our heads? Would you help us to see you again in all your glory, in all your kindness, in all your compassion, in everything that you are doing in this world and you have been doing? Thank you. Help us to praise you now, Father, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.